Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amazon Legends. And we have a very interesting guest today, and uh, it's Dave Terry. And Dave is the founder of Bell Chemical. And as you can guess from its name, they are all in chemical products, chemical products in uh, for personal use, but also business use for food products for institu- institutions. So uh, they will tell us more about it. But uh, he's a longtime safety and chemistry expert in manufacturing and industrial applications. And also he has a diploma to show for it because these days a lot of people say, oh, I'm the expert. Decide that's the case, but uh, he actually has a diploma to show for it. And Dave is the founder of not only one, but three companies, all of which are on Amazon. And uh, we're going to hear more about it. And uh, it's Bell Chemical is the main company. And then Lee's Cosmetics and Billy's Bakery. So, uh, so Dave, you know, when I start, usually I ask people, you know, tell me about something you're doing really well. But you really are doing three things well, right? <laughs> so uh, tell, me, tell me about why. Why three? You know, it, it's hard enough to juggle just one with inventory and financials and the keywords and the PPC, and you've got three. So tell us how you are actually doing this and why you're doing this. Uh, Yeah, you know, one of the things that, uh, one of the hardest things to do is expand, you know, while you're maintaining your original business. And we kind of looked at it and it it just, it hit everything at the right mark for Lease Cosmetics and Biddy's Bakery that they ended up coming on at the end of 22, right at the same time, uh, and Bell Chemical was there. And so it is really difficult to maintain our main operations with Bell Chemical while we expand into these new markets with the cosmetics and the bakery goods. Um, but I, I think we're doing really well uh, maintaining our operations. You know, a, a lot of companies, when they go into the expansion mode or that growth mode, uh, is they tend to lose focus of their primary products with the Bell Chemical. Um, but we've, I've got some really good staff and some supervision that right now they're maintaining those, those products with Bell Chemical are, are kind of staples. And so we can focus on the expansion with Lease Cosmetics and, and Vitties. But like you said, you know, you take chemicals, you got cosmetics and you take bakery goods um, and you mix those all together. And how do you, how do you, figure out what's going where and when. And that's been a lot of juggling on, on our part. Uh, we got a, a new facility this last year. Uh, we expanded quite a bit. We tripled our size. And with that, we were able to dedicate uh, production rooms and areas of the facility to isolate products and, and raw materials so that the production flow, especially for the cosmetics and the bakery goods, uh, doesn't interact or come into contact with some of those chemicals with the uh, with the Bell Chemical products as well. Um, and then it's also been a been a struggle for us because uh, one of the things with our our Vitti's Bakery is that they're gluten free and they're uh, vegan friendly. So 
we can't have anything that would come close to any kind of uh, vegan, uh, any kind of gluten that would potentially cross-contaminate with uh, the Vitti's Bakery stuff. So, so that's definitely been a headache and kind of uh, shuffling production floors and rooms and seeing where, where we can uh, reassign and remodel things uh, to make those flow a little better uh, and keep, that, keep the process safe for the consumer as well. Uh, so it's been, it has definitely been a struggle this last year as we've been ramping up. And now in 2022 is, is those brands, Lease Cosmetics and Vitties are now taking off a little bit more. And now we're starting to dedicate resources and uh, employees and, and time to those, those products in order to maintain the production demand uh, that we have to maintain. And so we're getting into our busy scene with, season with Bell Chemical. Um, and so we're going to see how it plays out in the, su- in the spring and the summer. But yeah, it, it's definitely, it's not as easy as one might think. You just expand and you, you grow another side business along with your regular business. Uh, it's had its ebbs and flows and ups and downs. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the, the challenge that I immediately see, especially from Amazon's standpoint, is... When you have chemical, they automatically qualify as hazardous, right? A lot of them, yes. Yeah, yeah. dangerous goods. So that means fulfillment by Amazon service, not necessarily available to you. So you have to handle your own fulfillment for some. Uh, so Amazon does have a program for uh, non-fully regulated dangerous goods. And, and so a lot of our products, uh, the consumers will ask, oh, can I get this uh our 75% vinegar, can I get that in a gallon size? And a lot of times we say no, because DOT regulations say, you know, anything over one liter has to go as fully regulated hazmat and then Amazon won't fulfill it. So Amazon does have a very good program with uh, reviewing safety data sheets and product information and looking at the actual product and determining if it's fully regulated or if they can fulfill it. So a lot of times that's our, our deciding factor on some of our products. We have a 45% vinegar and a gallon size, but anything over five liters would be a fully regulated hazmat. So Amazon has no problem fulfilling uh, those one gallon containers of 45%. And then on the other side, the 75% is anything over one liter. So a quart is just under a liter. Uh, would be fully regulated. And so Amazon will fulfill our courts of 75% as well. But, but then you start running out of storage space too, because all of the, the dangerous goods uh, inventory, Amazon will limit the inventory space. And that's been probably our, our biggest headache through the pandemic is that we used to have uh, thousands of cubic feet of storage for, for these hazardous goods. And then when everyone started doing the, you know, hand sanitizer and isopropyl alcohol and ethanol, then they started limiting our storage space and our staple products like sodium hydroxide. You know, we started running out of storage space at Amazon for those. And anybody that uses fulfillment by Amazon and they also fulfill their own products, they know that, especially on the smaller items, Amazon just has way better pricing structure for fulfillment by Amazon versus what you might get going to UPS or FedEx and trying to negotiate your own rate. You know, when we're doing say a couple hundred of shipments a day out of our warehouse, we can't negotiate the same kind of rates that Amazon does. Even on those dangerous goods items, you know, two pound sodium hydroxide when Amazon charges us $6 to ship it anywhere in the U S you know, our best rate through 
UPS or FedEx might be 850. So it makes a big difference being able to sh ship pallets of product to Amazon and then have them fulfill it, especially with the two-day shipping and uh, being available to consumers a lot sooner. Uh, well, so plus, you don't have to deal with customer service, refunds, and this, all that stuff, right? If once they yeah. handle it, they handle it all. But yeah. you know what I want to, what I want to, because you, you kind of go over it quickly because you've done it. So it's not a big deal. Uh, but I want the, the listeners to really get this point. When something is classified hazardous, Amazon did not accept those before for FBA. And now they do, but you had to go through a process, right? So tell us a little bit about what that was like and how, what it took for you to be accepted and the, the whole vetting process. Uh, tell us a little bit about that because that's interesting and it's not really easily available out there. Yeah, so I, I think really to get the whole story, we have to go back to probably 2017, 2018. And Amazon started this program. It was a pilot program for... Uh, dangerous goods that weren't fully regulated as hazmat goods. And it was a pilot program. So we had to you know, send the emails and requests and, and justify why we should be accepted into the program. And it was on a very limited basis, uh, but that really changed a lot of the process is that once we were accepted into that program, we had say 100, 200 cubic feet of storage. You know, it, it alleviated some of our shipping uh, burden on our end at our warehouse, but it was the biggest difference was the shipping cost of Amazon versus shipping our own product and the prices that we could get from carriers. And now I believe it's, it's gone from that pilot program to a full program. So anybody can apply uh, and, you know, essentially get accepted into that dangerous goods program at a limited inventory. Um, they might get hundred cubic feet, 200, 250, uh, and then Amazon kind of tests you out. Uh, the only thing with, with that is that you may want to ramp up your production right away and you might want 500 cubic feet or 1,000 or 2,000. And Amazon will tell you, we'll review it every quarter and you might get bumped up at, at the end of that based on how much you're selling. And anybody that sends inventory to Amazon knows that you send it to Amazon, it might take three weeks to get there if it's in the U.S., uh, it might take two weeks to get checked in, get into their system, and then it hits your inventory level. And then once you go over your inventory level, especially if you have something like 100 cubic feet, you're going to go over that inventory limit real quick. And then they limit you from shipping anything so until you get under that uh, cubic foot storage limit. So then you're kind of playing this game of, you know, how do I keep inventory there while showing them that I can sell through that inventory really quick so that I can increase that inventory storage. And for a time, I, I feel like we were sending stuff small package. Uh, we weren't sending it freight just in order to maintain uh, our storage level at, at an acceptable level so that Amazon could see that we're selling through, you know, 50, 60 cubic feet a day and that we need extra uh, storage space in order to maintain our sales. And over time, they, they increased that. I, I think we've been over 3,000 cubic feet at one time. Well, I mean, it's, it's a chicken and an egg situation, right? So you have your listings. Your listings get ranked up if you have continuity in your sales. And in order to have continuity in your sales, you need to have inventory. And of course, they're not going to let you have too much inventory to make sure that 
So you really, you, you really ought to be watching the numbers. This is not really inventory play at first. It's the, the numbers game that you are constantly watching and making these decisions so that you can juggle everything, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's tough because I, a lot of people tell me, ask me about, you know, Amazon and what's it what's it like selling on on Amazon and um, how do you get to the front page? Like, how do you get to the top ten on on the first page so that people are seeing it and they're buying it? And I always tell them that you know, Amazon selling on Amazon is you got to think of these products as like a snowball. You know, where you have a new product, nobody knows about it. You're going to have to spend some advertising money. You're going to have to get something just to get it in front of people or else they won't even be able to find it on the search results. And then eventually you might be on page 10 of those search results and someone might buy it. So then you're bumped up. You're, no, you're, not, you're now number 93. Um, and then someone else buys it. And then you're 91. And so you slowly go up. But as you go up onto like page two and page three, your sales start increasing if you have a good product. Um, and then as those sales increase more, that snowball starts going and your ranking goes up and you start getting listed higher. And then once you get on, hit on the first page, uh, then your ranking gets even higher and you start doing more sales just organically. Uh, the, whole, the whole goal of this on selling on Amazon is to get those organic sales so that someone searches for, you know, a face serum, a tanning lotion, you know, sodium hydroxide, and your product is say in the top three, top five organically without sponsoring it. Um, and I know originally we've had probably all of our products at some point were advertised, but our, our staple products now we don't even advertise for because if you do a search for them like activated charcoal or sodium hydroxide, uh, we're in the top three. A lot of times we're Amazon's choice and we don't have to sponsor those products. But for new sellers to get there, you know, it, it's tough to reconcile spending a lot of money on something that you don't know. Um, but if you have a good product, I would definitely say that you have to spend those advertising dollars in order to get it up there. And then once it's up there and it's organic, and people are finding your product and they love your product, uh, then you can tone back on that advertising because then it's organic. Everybody's just finding your product based on generic search terms. Yeah. And the other uh, side of the coin is once you come up and then people click on it, what percentage of the people are converting, right? You know, you may have 100 people land on your listing, but only five of them buy versus 30 of them. That's a huge difference. It goes direct to your bottom line. So um, uh, how do you make sense of all that? And, and how do you, do you actually track how the listings are converting? Um, a lot of our staples, we, we kind of stopped uh, looking at some of those metrics just because our conversion rate on our sodium hydroxide is probably at 70 to 85%. So somebody that clicks on it 75 out of, out of 100 times, they're going to purchase our product. But that's a staple product that people know us by that name and they're looking for our product. And if they do a search for activated charcoal, sodium hydroxide, they might be looking for Bell Chemicals product. Um, so as soon as they click on it, they're probably buying it or they're repurchasing it. Um, you know, we do, we have looked at some of our metrics for our, our primary products. And a lot of times 
our customers come back, we have a 90 to 95% retention rate, so a lot, which is huge in the market. So a lot of times those customers that bought our product once, they're coming back and they're buying it again and again. So that's because of the quality of the product. Correct. Yeah, that, that is one thing that I would have to hit on is that, you know, with our, our new brands, especially, we really focused on, we're going to make a good product. The best product that we can make right now, like our, our tanning lotion or our tanning serum, it's the best product that I could put on the market. Uh, and we manufacture it here in Montana. And I have a lot of faith in it. I know it's amazing. Um, so we put the advertising dollars in there. And then now it's a matter of time for that snowball to kick in because we know we have a good product. We're going to put that money. And then eventually, say in six months from now, we might be on page one organically without advertising. And then we'll tone back those advertising dollars. Uh, and then we'll have an organic product. It'll be like the Coco and Eve or uh, similar products. Um, but yeah, it, it, you really got to have a good product though. And, and that's, yeah. the, that's the big part. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I'd speak to different sellers and, and, and some of my clients, they put the emphasis on conversion. And that also is always my recommendation because if a listing goes up, it may be a great product, but the content will drive the conversion because you're not there. And it's the first time, you know, it's, it, I was talking to somebody earlier, 170 million prime subscribers yeah. on Amazon. That's more than half of the U.S. population. So it's a huge market out there. And a lot of people will see your product for the first time. The only thing that they are seeing is you're not there to explain how good it is. They yeah. have experience. So it's the information. And that automatically translates into poor conversion rate if it's not well laid out. This is assuming that it showed up somewhere that they saw and they clicked and they came to. So yeah. it would be a shame to lose them. So um, to, you have to fix the conversion before you really start spending serious amount of dollars. And so that when you start spending those advertising dollars, then you don't actually, you get the most out of it. Uh, otherwise it's like a bucket with holes and you're trying yeah. to pour more water in it. So that's the, uh, the experience that I, I hear. The other thing I hear is about, uh, and I heard you say six months, but you can actually achieve it within like two weeks of launching a listing. And uh, I had a seller earlier we were talking to, and he's been a seller um, before for several years. And now he's working on a new startup and they're about to launch. And he said that first 90 days of uh, launching a listing is key. And in those 90 days, within the first two weeks, you can achieve the ranking but that thing needs to get filled with inventory. So, and as you do that, because it's all about historical average of your order velocity. So if you're getting orders, so if you do a little bit at the beginning, then immediately you're setting a very low uh, moving average for those keywords. And also you don't have focus on the keyword. You've got like 12 different keywords each one is getting one or two orders versus one or two keywords, each one getting 10, 12 orders. That's, these are all strategies where you can 
leverage to get your visibility much better. But yeah. I mean, you, you're right about launching this the right way and it's a good product. You'll get reviews. People will keep coming back. Plus your kind of product, it's always returning customer, right? It's consumer. Yeah. 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 So uh, let's talk about a little bit on uh, what, how you be decided to go on Amazon and why. I mean, also you have an, I understand the cosmetic line, but chemicals, you know, usually people go for B2B wholesale distribution. So what was your decision-making process to go on Amazon? Uh, so I can remember it. it it's my, my wife and I, we were doing a lot with the oil field uh, services here in Montana. And it just happened that oil had taken a tank and we were looking at, we had just spent thousands of dollars on inventory and we had no, nowhere to move. Nobody was buying anything. Nobody was doing any projects in the oil field. And all of a sudden, you know, the, this side project of a business that we had created with Bell Chemical was sitting on tens of thousands of dollars of our personal money and not making any, any profit. And at, at that point, we kind of looked at the market and there were commodities like sodium hydroxide, citric acid, um, potassium hydroxide, activated charcoal, uh, things that consumers were using and paying, you know, exorbitant prices for. Uh, and we kind of looked at it and said, well, you know, we could produce these same products and chemicals for the consumer and end up saving them money and doing something with our inventory uh, and providing probably some of the highest quality uh, consumer chemicals on the market at the lowest prices and everybody's happy. You know, we, we kind of looked at it like here we're sitting on say $10,000 of inventory and we're just starting up and we're saying, I don't know what to do. We're just going to eat this loss, I guess. Um, and then we look at it and we say, well, if we just make a quarter on every product, you know, then we'll be making money and at least turning it over and we're saving the consumer money. We're making a little bit of money uh, and everybody's happy. And we kind of, we've always kind of taken the approach with our business that we don't want to make, you know, a million dollars on one sale. We, we'd much rather make say like a dollar or 50, 50 cents on a million, a million units. And then eventually we'll be a millionaire. So that's kind of how we, we kind of looked at it. Like, well, let's not try to try to jump the gun and make this a, a get rich quick. Let's just, you know, let's go at this slowly and we can, we can make money over time as long as we're always making money. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how we, we jumped into the online retail uh, and we were, we were selling like on eBay for six months uh, before we actually got onto Amazon. And that was a big decision because Amazon was this huge retailer still in 2016, 2017. And so we went through the process of, of getting on, onto Amazon. And it, it was definitely, uh, we were a little tepid. We didn't know what to expect. Uh, we initially started out with everything was fulfilled by merchant. You know, we were using our own shipping. Uh, a lot of times we, we were losing uh, to competitors. Um, and then eventually we took the jump to fulfill by Amazon. And that, that was a little bit of a stress for us because, you know, you're sending out all this inventory to Amazon. And for the first time, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, but immediate, almost immediately within two weeks of them having inventory, uh, we started selling out of inventory and we noticed that 
you know, we were doing more on Amazon in a single day than we were, say, on eBay in a month. And so it, it was a big eye opener. And that refocused us to Amazon and, and saying, OK, like you said, 170 million subscribers in the U.S. Uh, for Amazon Prime. And we just refocused everything to focus on on Amazon and getting all of our products there fulfilled by Amazon if we could. Uh, and then shortly after that, that's when they started the Amazon pilot program for the dangerous goods. And, and that really opened up a big avenue for us uh, and reduced all of our shipping costs um, and increased our profit margins quite a bit. Yeah. So I picked up a few things from what you mentioned. First and foremost, and I get this quite frequently, people have a lot of inventory and they say, well, why can't we just open an Amazon account and then just dump this inventory? So it does not work that way, right? So you were in exactly the same situation, but you made the deliberate approach to play the long game, which is what Amazon wants. Amazon is not a place where you can just go open up and then start dumping inventory. It's going to take time for you to build up your presence, build up your account, build up your credibility as a seller, because the last thing they want is somebody comes along, makes a lot of sales, and a couple of months later, they are gone, and the merchandise starts to come back. They will issue the refund as Amazon, because they are Amazon customers. It destroys their image in customers' eyes, and the seller is nowhere to be found. They're gone, yeah. because the inventory, so they don't want that. So, uh, you've taken the long road, you built up your account, and then you tested different things. So that's one thing. The other thing that you mentioned, FBA, which is my next question, we'll touch a little bit. You chose FBA as the, the way you want to fulfill it. So that's, a, that's, again, a strategic decision. A lot of people don't want to relinquish control over their fulfillment. And they also want to send out inventory but they want to be able to bill for it so i i get a lot of clients sometimes they say okay fba so when i'm sending the shipment who do i bill i say nobody imagine this is your warehouse you know in, in the next town you're gonna bill somebody just to keep work yeah but no i can't let anything go out of these doors without billing somebody i had to bill somebody then i'm gonna bill amazon so okay bill then what's gonna happen <laughs> so, which is my next point, keeping inventory, or I should say managing inventory in multiple locations, that's another challenge, right? Because you need to monitor how much is there, you need to monitor how much is in the home base, you need to monitor how much is in production pipeline, so that you can keep the whole thing greased, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely, I, I've got an amazing uh, logistics coordinator, uh, she's been with me a couple of years and she just has a mindset for the, those kind of things. Uh, but it's taken time as well. Nobody can just step into that role of figuring out logistics between Amazon and your warehouse inventory and making sure you have enough. Um, but she has a mind for that and, and just just understanding how everything works. And we've, we've come up with some kind of some rough calculations and metrics, uh, like some of our top selling products, we'll try to keep. Uh, between what's at Amazon and what's inbound, probably around 10 weeks of inventory. Uh, and a lot of people say, oh, there's no way I can't keep, you know, 10 weeks of inventory at Amazon. But 
again, that's between what's available to purchase. Uh, say, say that's 3,000 units uh, for 10 weeks. Uh, and say we have 1,000 that are available right now, but 2,000 that we already shipped and it's inbound because it might take four to six weeks for Amazon to check it in. So at that point, your 1,000 units is gone and now you're back to 2,000 units available to purchase. Um, so we really try to maintain the, the 10 weeks. Uh, we feel like that's been a good metric for us. But then at the same point is you have to look at your own warehouse and say, what kind of inventory do I have on the shelves here that's ready to ship? Um, the one benefit that we have as the brand owner and the manufacturer is that uh, say we go to our, our warehouse and, and our shipping coordinator says we need to send out six pallets of, of a product and we have two. As the manufacturer, we can turn around and put that on the production schedule the next week and produce 10 pallets so that we, we can ship those out and we have excess. Um, I know a lot of sellers on Amazon, they're not the manufacturer. Uh, and, it, and it makes it a little more difficult because then now you've got to purchase that product from a manufacturer. You've got different lead times. Right, it might, right. it might take six weeks to get to you. And then it might take, you know, six weeks to get checked in at Amazon when you ship it out. Uh, so there's a lot of different hurdles there. Whereas we have the benefit that we can put it on the production schedule and get out what we're missing, but it, it definitely, it, it takes someone with a different kind of mindset. It's to, all numbers. To all you're constantly juggling numbers. You're constantly watching. And of course, things can turn, which is a good segue to my next question. Uh, let's talk a little bit about those peak times. So prime day, shopping season. I don't, know, I don't know if shopping season affects you on cosmetics. I'm sure it does. But also yeah. on cosmetics, if you're doing this tanning uh, lotions and things, then in the summer, I'm sure you get a surge. So either way, you are experiencing peaks. So how do you prepare for that? What are some of the, the recommendations, do's and don'ts? So I, I know a, a lot of what we do is commodities, uh, chemicals. We provide a lot of stuff for the do-it-yourself community. Um, our sodium hydroxide goes into people making soaps. So our peak season for sodium hydroxide is actually typically... October and November, because we figured out that it takes soap about eight weeks to cure. And if those people aren't making their soap in October, then they're not going to have any soap to sell in December uh, for Christmas. So it, it's kind of interesting because our slowest time of the year is December, right? About halfway through November into December and then a little bit into January. Uh, so it's kind of nice that that's our slow season because then all, all of our employees love it. They you know, we don't have time off requests during that time. If they want to take time, they just take it off. Um, but as soon as they get back, uh, everybody knows by February 1st, we're ramping up again because in the spring and the summer, uh, people use our vinegar as a weed killer. And so it is, it, it's huge. We'll, we'll go from, you know, 40 gallons a day uh, that we're selling of our 45% vinegar to uh, upwards of 500 gallons a day uh, in, in March, April, and May. And so a lot of that is that production planning and making sure that we're in almost weekly to bi-weekly communication with the container manufacturers, with, uh, the acid manufacturers and making sure that everything's available when we're going to need it. Uh, and then planning out, trying to forecast what we did last year versus this year and trying to make sure that we have containers for it. We have labels for it. We have, you know, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't think about it, but at, at one point, caps 
for containers went to about a 50 to 52 week lead time that we had to order. Wow. And so we were, we were talking to manufacturers and putting in orders for the next year and trying to forecast, okay, well, if that order is going to take a year, then we have to order two years worth. Um, and it puts a lot of strain on us as well, but it, it's definitely having a good idea of forecasting and looking at what you're going to do in the future and making sure that you have that today in order to ship out. And then still thinking about that 10 week of inventory at Amazon as a buffer. Um, if something were to happen and we run out of inventory, we would know that we still have that 10 weeks and it gives us a little bit more uh, lead time in order to make any kind of modifications that we might need. Yeah. And the other thing that I, I remember from my days uh, of selling on Amazon is, I mean, Amazon pays every other week, right? So that's good cash coming in steadily. When you're doing B2B distribution, you, you know, you've you got receivables to run and you have to wait generally 90 days plus. So uh, by here, you've got a channel that keeps paying every other week and you start to rely on that cash flow and suddenly sales take a hit, you, your cash flow dries up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I hear a very uh, deep, oh, yeah. 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 We had uh, the pandemic uh, in 2020. It, it started up in, in March of 2020, was it? And yeah. uh, so so at the time, our, our primary product was sodium hydroxide. And we went through a recall that was uh, uh, went through the CPSC on March 17th. And so that was our primary product that we were selling on Amazon. And on March 17th, we got hit with a recall that was announced. And so we were juggling a recall while going through the pandemic. And it, it was definitely a struggle because then all of a sudden you've already purchased all this inventory and now it's sitting there and your listings are delisted. People can't find it. People aren't, aren't purchasing it. And at the same time, we were, we were recalling, uh, I think it was over a hundred thousand products uh, that, that got recalled uh, for that one. hundred thousand units. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, I remember because as it happens, during the pandemic, I had a client who sold masks. So yeah. their sales exploded. And then the next thing is Amazon takes them offline because of the price gouging or whatever. So, I mean, uh, your products, masks, gloves, and the hand sanitizers, everybody who were already selling, some of them were bad actors. But the good actors got burned with the bad actors because Amazon took everything offline. And, but yeah. after they identify, they put a process in place, and they always do. It's, it was okay. And then, of course, you know, you just couldn't have enough. I mean, it was money coming out of your ears, right? That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, there was a there was a time. So at the same time that we went through the recall, um, my wife is is she's just a brilliant woman. And she has a much, much higher tolerance for risk than I do. I, I'm one of those that we were going through the recall and I was saying, let's just keep it steady. We'll recover. We'll, you know, one of the issues was it didn't have a child re resistant cap on it. So 
I, I was saying we're, we're just going to modify the packaging, relabel it. We'll be good. Um, we'll reissue this product. It might be a few months. And at the same time, she she's calling me from the store and she's going, I can't find hand sanitizer. I can't find cleaning wipes. The, the, there's no toilet paper in Walmart. Uh, and so so she's saying we need to get into hand sanitizer because nobody can find it. And the only ones I can find are, you know, it's $100 a gallon at the time. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we started looking into that. And there was, uh, from one of our distributors, there was some medical grade isopropyl alcohol. And he said, I've got 12 barrels uh, if you guys want it. I think at the time it was, you know, but this was before everyone ran out of isopropyl alcohol. It was $150 a barrel, uh, something like that. And so, you know, I called my wife and I, and I said, I don't know, you know, that, that's a lot of money. We don't currently sell this product. We have no idea how it's going to do. And she's just going, do it, get back on the phone, call them. We're going into it. Like these people are getting gouged. We need to help out how we can. And then I called him back and, and he said, Oh, uh, in the 20 minutes that, that I talked to you, someone already picked it up. Uh, and then, so we, we actually started looking into it and we, we now sell isopropyl alcohol, uh, as well as ethanol. But I remember a time as, as the manufacturer, we have the, the luxury of, of changing the prices along with the commodities. Uh, something like isopropyl alcohol, it's not, a, it's not a static price that you're buying from your manufacturer at this, this rate per pound or per unit. Uh, so it, it fluctuates as, as demand fluctuates. And I know at one point when we were selling alcohol, you know, we were getting complaints and you know, it kind of hurt us uh, personally, because people were saying that we were price gouging, um, and we were, we were charging upwards of $35 a quart at one point, but people don't understand that then we were turning around to the manufacturer. And every time we bought alcohol, you know, I think it got up to almost $2,500 a barrel compared to at the beginning of the pandemic, those $150 barrels that we could have purchased. Uh, and then fast forward a month and it's $2,500 a barrel just because nobody can find it. And, and that's direct from the manufacturer just because of demand. Um, so it, in some light there, we, we had a good sales with uh, isopropyl alcohol while we we're going through this recall. And a lot of that, I, I account to my wife pushing me and saying, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I'm hearing is really, first of all, you have to have the, the infrastructure to manage the business, juggling the inventory, watching it, and then knowing your numbers in terms of your metrics and uh, replenishment and, and things like that. But also you have to be really agile with Amazon because it changes all the time because the market changes and Amazon changes with the market with how they're going to handle those changes. So you really need to be watching all this and then have the guts to, to make the decisions and make the calls to change with it yourself, then you can really realize the potential. It's not a, you know, plug it in and then turn it on and then just go back to sleep. That's not Amazon. You, you really have to be on top of pretty much all the comprehensive stuff, clever stuff, as well as just being a business person looking for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear it all the time from, from, people and they say, oh, how, how do I get onto Amazon? You know, I went on to, I, I hate this. They say, I went on to Alibaba and I saw this product that they'll put my label on 
and they'll ship it direct to Amazon warehouse and then I can sell. And it's that idea that it's a get, quick, get, get rich quick scheme, you know, kind of like I can go to Alibaba and order something that someone else makes and private label it and then ship it direct to Amazon and I can never touch it and I'm going to make money, you know, but, but I always go back to the quality and understanding your business is that you have no understanding of what that manufacturer in China is doing. You have no idea, you know, how it's getting to Amazon. You never touch the product. You don't know if it's a good quality. And then I feel like that's where a lot of negative reviews and comments come from because there's poor communication communication and customer service and customers are getting a poor quality product and then complaining and the seller that they're talking to has never even touched the product. So I, I feel like a lot of sellers right now coming into the market, they see all this like YouTube, get, get rich quick, you know, you never touch the product, you just buy it from Alibaba, ship it to Amazon and you'll be rich. And I feel like that's, that, that's not true of how to be a great Amazon seller. It, it's the, it, like you were saying, the slow game and making sure that you have a great quality product first and then figuring out how to sell it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there is no one magic bullet where you do this and then it's that. There's, there's, there's the product. It starts with the product. And then you need to know how to promote that product, keywords and all the numbers, all the metrics. And then it's not a one-time deal. It's, it keeps changing. New keywords come become available, become popular. And those who are popular, people don't use anymore. There's all these different trends changing. And then also, uh, there is also something called the content fatigue. In other words, especially if you have a, um, a returning customer situation where the same product is bought several times, people like to see different types of content. Uh, seeing the same thing, it, it makes them think, oh, you know, this is, it's, it's old. So that's why in, in uh, you know, I used to sell fragrances, uh, fragrance brands, they keep changing their packaging yeah. because they want to keep it dynamic. So this, uh, and then you have the inventory, of course, which is a big deal because that's cash that you are investing. And then there's the financials, right? So <laughs> there is no one thing. I mean, you can't just, you have to build a business. You can't build a business just by yeah, buy it here, send it there, and then that's it. I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit at the beginning when you started. What kind of challenges did you have working your business operation uh, according to how Amazon wanted you to work? So in other words, did Amazon operation plug into your business or did you have to make changes in how you operated the business and what, what was expected, what was unexpected, and, and you had to redo things? What was those what were those initial challenges? Well, in, initially you can look at it like Amazon's is giant. And you know, you can either fight the giant and say, I'm gonna do it this way, I'm gonna manufacture, I'm gonna follow these policies, or you can just kind of walk with the giant. And it's Amazon, it's they're multi-billion dollar company and you're starting up a, a business and you're doing you're trying to do everything according to the books and their policies uh, but sometimes it still just bites you um, you might have you're starting up and you're doing 50 to 100 orders a day uh, or or even 10 you know something like that 
And, but Amazon's metrics are all percentage based. So your account is based on these percentages and you might have an order defect rate because there's a winter storm coming through and it delayed your shipments by two days. And now you have a high order defect rate and you get your account suspended. And you're going, well, what am I supposed to do? Uh, you know, a lot of times you're just going through the, through the process and you're doing your plan of action. And I, I do feel like Amazon recognizes a lot of those things, uh, but they are knee jerk reaction. And that, that's the hardest thing to realize about Amazon when you start selling on there is that you may not have known that you did something against their policies and they're going to knee jerk reaction. They're going to delist your product. They're going to suspend your account and you're going to have to go through the entire process of reactivating it or, you know, justifying it or trying to find a way around it. And that can be extremely burdensome on your business. I know if our account got suspended today, you know, that'd be a huge hit to our entire operations just because you don't have that daily revenue coming in. And on top of that, you know, they always, uh, they freeze your, any, any kind of account balance that you had in there too. So you can't get that out. So I, I don't know, I, I can't stress it more than to tell new sellers just to, you know, give absolutely amazing customer service you know, if someone's, someone's mad that their product came late, uh, you know, you might just want to refund them just so they have a good experience with, with your company uh, instead of fighting them and saying, well, you still got the product, you know, you should be happy or I'll give you a discount or, you know, you want to make it a positive interaction so that they don't leave a negative review because Amazon also looks at your negative reviews on your products. And if it gets too high compared to how many orders you've had, you know, they'll, take your listing off and then you're no longer selling that product. So it, I can't stress it more that, you know, when, if you're first starting up and you don't have thousands of orders a day to kind of uh, absorb those negatives, then you need to be extremely over nice and compensate your customers that have a bad experience just so they come back to you or so that they just don't leave a negative review or negative uh, response to Amazon. Yeah. So what I what I've heard is really two things that you mentioned, which is really these are important. One is you don't have a way of running your business or operating your business and then expect to start selling on Amazon and expect the Amazon business to fit into how you run the business. It has to go the other way around. Exactly. You have to you have to change the way you are running the business in order to satisfy Amazon requirements with shipments with with anything. Uh, I I always call this the tail wagging the dog. So uh, one of the things that I hear from my clients or wannabe clients, uh, they I I tell them, look, these are the things you're gonna have to do. You have to organize your data this way. You have to have a proper catalog. You have to have the UPCs properly registered, your labeling, your information, and then your shipments have to be done this way. You have to track this, you track. So it's too much work. Yeah. We can't do all that. We don't have anybody to do all this. Well, you either have to get somebody or you have to learn it. Somebody has to take this responsibility. Well, that's gonna, yeah, we don't have, we don't have the resources. Well. Once we start getting more orders, we can do all those things. You don't, you don't ever get any orders if you don't operate this way. So, uh, but if you change the way you're running the business a little bit, it will fit into this. 
So, uh, in fact, one one guy I mentioned earlier, uh, the CFO was a bit of an old school. And when I told them right off the bat, it's the FBA, you have to let Amazon fulfill. They agreed, the CEO agreed. And of course, it takes a while to prepare for the launch. So finally, we are about to send the uh, first shipment. And the person I'm working with prepared the numbers. She gave the order to the warehouse, order is prepared, and it's about to go out. And she calls me up, says, the CFO put the order, put the shipment on hold. And I said, why is that? And she goes, well, he wants to know who to bill it to. So he's not letting anything go unless he bills. So, and then we have a conversation, becomes a crisis. Suddenly, you know, oh my God, you know, this is what's needed. Why can't we do it? We need to do something. We need to build it to somebody. So you, you cannot, you have to change the way you operate your business if you want to be on Amazon. That's why. Yeah. The second is you have to really consider extremely customer-centric policies or refund policy. Somebody complains, give it to them. Let them keep the product. And that way, in the long run, it will benefit you. So you can't have these strict policies like the old days. It's no more. It's People want to be happy, right? Yeah. So let's tie that to today, knowing what you know now uh, at the beginning, at startup level, and also during growth. How would you structure a team in terms of roles? Uh, oh. What are those specific roles that you've got to recognize and then charge somebody with the responsibility? And what is a good idea to do in-house? What is a good idea to outsource uh, again at the beginning as well as growth? And how are you doing that right now? So tell us a little bit about the team makeup. Okay. Uh, you know, right now I've got a shipping uh, logistics coordinator. I've got an accountant and HR uh, coordinator. And then I have uh, my production supervisors. And I'd, I'd say that's kind of the, the core of the team. We've also got a, a marketing director and a, a quality assurance uh, manager as well. Um, but when I first started up, it was it was basically my wife and I. And so I, it's really hard to say what a startup would need. I, I would say that if you're starting up a business and you're looking to sell on Amazon, you're either bringing in product from someone else or you're making your own product and then producing it and sending it to Amazon. But in either case, I think each owner, CEO, operator has to look at themselves and say, what am I good at and what can I do? And I think it's great for everyone to start out with thinking themselves as a team of one. And then eventually you figure out like, I don't have time for that. I can't do that. I can't do this. Um, you know, when, when we first started up, uh, the first couple of years, I did our own accounting. You know, I did all the books. I did everything. But two years into it, you know, you quickly realize, like, I don't have time for this. I can't, I can't focus on my operations and do our books for accounting and finances. So, you know, we have to bring on other people for that. And then eventually you get to a point where you're doing, say, a thousand orders a day uh, from your warehouse uh, or Amazon runs out of inventory of a hot selling product in the, in the peak season. Uh, we've done that where we run out of our vinegar product in peak season, say June, and then we're shipping out 
thousand orders from our warehouse. And so I quickly realized that I can't focus on production uh, if I'm doing shipments all day. So then we realized, okay, we need a shipping coordinator, someone that can handle this and look at the logistics and understand what needs to go to Amazon and what doesn't. Uh, and then when I was focusing on production and we were looking at all the growth is that uh, in order to grow, I had to focus on other areas of our business, like the cosmetics and the bakery and, and start the R&D process for those. So we, we quickly understood that we needed supervisors to manage the frontline production uh, and, and product changes for the different products. So as you grow, I think you start realizing what you need. Um, but as an initial startup business uh, getting onto Amazon, I think you, you have to go at it and look at what you know and what you don't know and what you have time for. Uh, when, what is a good idea to outsource and what kind of tools, for example, you, you had to use? Uh, so currently, like we don't outsource uh, any of our USA stuff, but I know we've had some issues in the, in the past with Canada and some of those regulations. And we end up outsourcing a lot of the regulatory compliance for Canada uh, and the EU through agencies in those countries, uh, just because at that point, there's nobody that I could hire today in the US that, that would be competent enough to just walk in and understand those. But I can outsource those to someone in that country that's familiar with it and they do it every day uh, in order to get us into compliance with those. So uh, I do know regulatory issues are a huge one for outsourcing uh, because you, know, you can look online and you can Google everything you want, but you're not going to know the ins and outs of the regulations like someone that's familiar with it and they work with it every day. How about uh, in terms of operating the Amazon account? Uh, operating the Amazon account, I, I still kind of go back to if you're not looking at it every day and you're not looking at your inventory and your financials and what's going through Amazon and coming back to you and you're outsourcing that then they might not have a big picture of what's going on in your operations uh, or, your, or your small business. Um, <clears throat> I, I would have a hard time outsourcing some of our Amazon operations, um, maybe some of the customer service uh, things, responses, because we can always have you know, automated responses based on customer questions or concerns. Uh, we could always uh, outsource that, but it, I do have a product. I don't know, maybe it's me personally, I, maybe I'm just a, a tightwad and I, I don't wanna pay for those resources, but uh, I always think that the more information that we have on our hands at any one time, if we don't have to call somebody to get that information, then we're in a better position uh, to make business decisions every day. Yeah, yeah, I mean, information is key. So uh, as a the final question, I always bring up, uh, if you could wish one thing for Amazon to change in their policies for sellers, what would that be? Uh, it probably has to be some of the regulatory issues. Um, I, I know dealing with Amazon on, on some of the regulatory issues, uh, you know, you have to keep in mind that you're probably contacting an, an Amazon representative that is just making 15, 16, 17 bucks an hour. And they're not that familiar with the process, but the algorithm came up and it flagged your product or your account uh, for some regulatory issue. And you can see online that there's no regulatory issue. Um, I, I bring up uh, in, in Canada, our activated charcoal got flagged as a drug 
and we were told that we needed a, a drug identification number. And so we went through about eight months of, of repackaging our charcoal uh, to meet Health Canada standards. We, we used a company, Nutrisource in Canada. They're great to work with. They, they did a whole write-up and evaluated our packaging. And they said, yeah, your packaging, how it was, uh, could be uh, identified as a drug. And so we, we redid the entire packaging. They looked everything over and they said, now it's a cosmetic. Uh, we, we did the cosmetic notification with Canada. You know, we resubmitted everything to Amazon. And of course, Amazon comes back and they say, well, your product was originally identified as a drug. So you still have to have a drug identification number, regardless of what you've changed about your product. It's already flagged. You know, it's already hit their system. And so I, that's one thing that, has got me in the past is Amazon's regulatory policies. A lot of times they're just cut and dry. Your product gets flagged and then you have to take the step to provide a, a drug number um, and they won't take any response until you provide that number, even if you contact Health Canada or the regulatory body and they say, no, you don't need it. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that whatever they say is final and it's yep. very hard to rebut. Okay, well, I mean, uh, this was great. So before we go, uh, tell us a little bit about Dave Terry. Who is Dave Terry? What are you like doing outside business? And what are your passions? Where are you based? I heard you say Montana, of course. Uh, but tell us a little bit about you. And also tell us how people can find you. Give us the contact. We will obviously post that on our website and also with the episode. But uh, give us the contact information as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with that. So anybody that ever wants to contact me or have any question about Amazon, um, I get questions all the time, you know, little things. Uh, it's dave at bellchemical.com and they can contact me directly through there. It's open anytime. Um, it's not some automated person or a secretary. It's me looking at those emails. So um, you'll get a response from me and I, I try to get back within say 48 hours or so. Um, but me as a person, um, I love spending time with, with my wife and, and daughter, Isabel. Um, we actually named our, our company Bell Chemical after my daughter, Isabel. Um, and so she's just a ball of joy. I love doing anything that she does. She, she does the Ninja Warrior. We do the kind of rock climbing, the trampoline park, uh, anything outdoors, um, golfing. And it's Montana. It's big sky. So uh, the this last weekend, we went up uh, sledding at Red Lodge, Montana. Um, anything outdoors, we, we like going to the lake, uh, fishing. Uh, I don't do much hunting, but yeah, I, I just like the family time in the outdoors. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And uh, thank you, Dave. This has been very informative. Typically, we talk about um, you know all the processes and the challenges as entrepreneurs and uh, but you brought a totally different perspective with basically regulated products and, and how you navigate your way around it. I'm sure that listeners will find it very useful. So with that, uh, another episode comes to a close. And thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.